Hello and welcome to another episode of my um, Making Things Better podcast. I'm so excited about this one. I didn't actually record it as a podcast. I recorded it as some research I'm doing looking at the um, the future of flavour and taste within the food and drink industry. And I was really fortunate enough to have met Aman, um, Aman Jop, um, some months before doing some work on the, um, I guess, trends in the future of, of bars, of, of cocktail bars. And he's just one of those guys that I can't, I'm smiling now just thinking about him. He's just got this amazing personality and this huge smile. Um, He's an absolute joy to be with. And I wanted to record some research with him for, as I say, another project. But it was so good that I can't waste it. And um, so I'm going to use it for this as well. And, And what I love about what he does is he kind of takes one thing, gin, and he does it to perfection. And you, you'll, you'll see this, you'll pick this up when he talks about flavour, when he talks about taste. The, the, the poetry is clear, but the love, the love he has for what he does comes pouring out as well. Um, and, you know, in terms of doing things better, he does, he does gin better than anybody else that I know. Um, he's he's amazing. So listen up, enjoy it, and um, and and it's, the other thing about I like, like about it is he isn't in London or he isn't in in any of the kind of like big capitals for cocktails. He's in Birmingham, and um, and it's 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 not where I'm from. I'm from the Midlands, but not actually from Birmingham. And I just love the fact that there's all this cool stuff going on all across the UK, all across the world, um, not just in those hotspots anymore. Anyway, enjoy it. Tell me about the taste of this. Uh, it's great. Not so much citrus on the front of the palate. You've and in the middle of the palate, you've got really kind of earthy, dry notes, and then it finishes with a floral, aromatic note from the nutmeg. Amazing. Tell me who you are and what you do. My name's Aman, or Amanjot Singh Joel, and I own Forty St Pauls, which is, by all accounts, one of the best gin bars in the country. Amazing. We've got the awards to prove it as well. And I love the way, I, I, I call you a manjar, is that wrong? What do, what do you call yourself? Oven. Oman. 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 Thank you, Oman. So the way you talk about flavour, and the way you talk about taste, because they're different, is really interesting and captivating. And I'm, I'm old, I'm 49, and when I first started drinking gin and tonics, it was just gin and tonic. Yeah. It, what happened to the in the gin world that made us aware of the different flavors within gin? Yeah, um, what changed? So I think the first thing was um, you can blame Bombay Sapphire for it when they bought out Bombay Sapphire and they kind of introduced the idea of premium, the premiumization of gin. Uh, it changed people's perceptions of what gin could be, and in the following. Uh, ten years, you had several gins come through. Uh, Citadel Reserve being one of them, Brokers being another that I know of that I can remember off the top of my head. And these gins were very different. They they introduced new botanicals, the same way Bombay Sapphire had done, and they started to it started to build a little bit of headstream. Um, and then you had in the mid to late 1990s you had 
Martin Miller's come out, which was the first gin to not... Well, then you had the American explosion of craft distilling and what they were doing with uh, the new Western style of gin. And then you had more and more British gins start to come out, like Martin Miller's Hendrix and Williams Chase. And so you, you, it was the scene was already being set. And it was then in 2010 when the work by the guys at Deville and Sipsmiths, amongst others, uh, who'd been lobbying HMRC to change the distilling laws that have been around since the 1751 Gin Act um, to allow smaller producers into the market, the, it really started to kick off. So That's, I'm going to stop you there because you've said loads of amazing stuff in there and I'm going to try and unpick some of, some of that. So someone like Bombay yeah. was, was the first kind of... The first kind of, it's a big brand. Yeah. The first kind of brand that focused on flavour rather than alcohol, I guess. Or what was it that they did that was different that brought our attention to the different layers of taste? Uh, I mean, <laughs> for for all it for if you break it down for me, um, they they in terms of flavour and taste. It wasn't much, but what they did do was talk about the provenance of what they were using yeah. and how to, and what difference that made to their final product. I mean, the Cuba berries and um, I can't remember the other botanical that's different from Bombay original. Um, Cuba berries and yeah, Grains of Paradise. They, they had, that's it. Is yeah. Grains of Paradise? Yeah. yeah so th- those two. Well, I mean, what they've done there is that basically black pepper to the finish. They've added peppery notes that fill yeah. those two things. Uh, the Cuba berries and grains of paradise are basically in the same family as the black pe- as the black pepper kernel. So in terms of flavor and taste, it wasn't great, but provenance and the idea of a, a botanical or a flavor or an ingredient being linked to where it's from was really key. Um, and I think that's, and you know, that was reflected in the, in the marketing that they did and also the bottle, the redesign of the bottle was, yeah. uh, was really quite special. And so, yeah, so they've, they've, I think that's what really kind of kick-started it. it. And if you look at, if you look at the current gin market now as well, with the proliferation of gins that are of their space or of their environment, um, and people buying into them. So you've got gins from pretty much every city at the moment, and they're all really interesting and different. But people buy into them because they're theirs. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, so that's like a hyper low. So there's, there's loads here. So it's very rare for the premiumization to come from a mainstream player. When you, when you begin to think yeah. about. When you, when you think about disruption in most markets, it comes from noisy outsiders. Yep. People like Brewdog is a really great example yep. who've got like nothing to lose apart from the fed up of crap beer. Yep. And, and, but for Bombay to do it from the top of the business, yep. so that means that those bigger brands can still innovate. That's oh yeah, 100%. Absolutely fascinating. And then the second thing that I absolutely loved, and it's not relevant to the conversation for the research, but it's relevant to, to, to just a general interesting chat about gin, was the change in the nine, in the 1751 regulations? Yep. That was holding smaller producers back. Yep. 
That's really interesting. And was was were the main players happy for those rules to be relaxed, or did they kind of like them because they kept people out? Um, I'm sure it was the second option, but uh, <laughs> I don't actually know that many people in the uh, yeah, from from that era. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they, the seventeen fifty one laws were were designed to stop the gin craze. You know, I mean, you had a negative birth rate in London at the time. People, more people were dying than were being produced. It was is that bad. right? Yeah, it was bad. And were people drinking gin because they couldn't drink the water? Uh, I mean, probably. Uh, yes, yes. Let's go with yes. <laughs> let's go with and, that. Um, but you know, also the fact that it was a it was a hellish time, and you know, escapism is. What most people go for in times of in times of uh, great strife, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. Um, so that was to make the drink safer. Yes. And to make it not being able to be brewed in people's bathtubs. Yes. And it, and therefore duty being lost and yeah. lives being lost. It was to kind of organise it and yeah. pull it into some kind of respectable shape. Definitely. And the knock-on impact of that is, is it actually stifled um, creativity and disruption. Yeah. As the market matured, and we realised that we don't want to be pissed all the time. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm. Maybe we do. Um, yeah. So, so t- tell me about your your average customer. I know that's, there's not such a thing as an average customer, but when people come in here, what do they look for? What, why come to you? Um, I think uh, they'll come to me because we've shown consistently that we are just at the top of our game in gin for in Birmingham like you know with the uh, the menu picked up its first national award um, a month or so ago and that's the, the people it just gives you that kind of social proof I think when they get here they realize that that isn't an overnight thing and it's been two and a bit years of research and development and the knowledge that we all have as a team is intense, like, you know, it is actually intense. We could, to a certain extent, bore you with the knowledge that we've, uh, and I'm pretty sure a few of us have. Um, but that, that's the, and I think that's, that's where, that's where our, the idea of us being market leaders has come from. It's the knowledge and the understanding to take what people are saying connect the dots and give them an experience that is better than what they've had. So I think I've had maybe seven different people call me the gin whisperer, which <laughs> is great, but somebody already has all the, uh, all the, the web addresses. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> a little bit annoying, but that's, but that's purely because they'll describe to me what they understand what they feel like in terms of flavour or how they feel in terms of their day and I'll be able to give them something that matches that. You're the gin doctor. <laughs> gin doctor. So I come with I come to you with a diagnosis, with a with a symptom. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired. I'm feeling, and you go. What you need is the anti-gin. What yeah. you need is that. I'm looking at the ones behind your back. What you need is Jensen's. What you need is Beefeater Crown Jewel. Yeah. That's an interesting brand. Yeah. And that's yeah. their premium offer. Yes. Of all the boroughs deserve those two. That's really interesting. So I'm gonna pick that, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna settle on that one and go with something else. So so we saw this explosion of of, of small disruptive gin um, um, uh, distillers. Yep. 
and those cool funky names and some of those are hyper local and some of those aren't hyper local yeah and then the big brands despite this maybe starting with the big brands yeah those big brands had to do something so people like I'm looking up there Beef Eater who else have you got that's really big up there so uh, up top not many Beef Eater's there we've got the Tankery range here yeah um, but oh. I see Tankery Tank, where were Tankery prior to Bombay Sapphire so Tankery would just have the export it would have been the Tankery export that yeah. was basically it um, I mean they Tankery also did a, a big thing for the idea of new flavours and uh, new gins. Tanqueray number 10, when it came out in... When did it come out? Well, I can't remember. When Tanqueray number 10 came out, it was, by all accounts, um, just a revelation. It's the only spirit, it's the only gin to have been retired from all competitions. It won double gold. Three years on a trot um, is in the Spirits Hall of Fame. It's been, ret- it's yeah. been retired from all, com- from all competitions. So tell me about, because I can buy that now still, yeah, yeah, I can buy it. So tell me why Tanqueray Number 10 won everything. What was it about its taste, its flavour? It's really, feel? What was um, it? So it, for its time, it was incredibly revolutionary. To, like When it came out, gins were still in that classic juniper flavour profile, big, bold, piney, resinous, and everything else was there to either support it or to to kind of almost enhance it. I, I, I'm going to have to stop you again because you're beautiful, you're a poet. Big, Pine. bold, resinous. Piney flavours. These, these are, so, so in another world, yeah. if we're in the wine world, we'd be talking about big, fat, heavy yeah, yeah. reds. Okay, so they're the, they're the overriding, simplistic gin flavours. Yeah. And you're saying that the more subtle flavours were there to either shore them up yeah. or to enhance them. And then at some point, those heavy flavours became less important yeah. and the little ones grew. Yeah, massively. So the, yeah. So the customer was looking for more, not necessarily more complexity, but maybe sometimes more subtlety. Yeah. Am I putting words into your mouth? No, no. That's putting flavours into my mouth. <laughs> I, I'm actually, can I be honest, I'm actually oh. salivated ever so slightly. <laughs> number one, I am. Can you hear that? Number one, I'm looking at the bottles. And number two, the way you talk about flavour and taste makes me think differently about what I put in my mouth. It's, re- it's really, I don't want to have a bog standard gin again. Yeah. I don't drink much gin. Yeah. So I want to drink the best gin. That's really interesting. Okay, so so those heavier, big, so I'm going to call them the central flavors, the the supporting the the main flavors of a gin became less important, and the supporting kind of bit part players flavors became more important. Yes. Okay, and then what happened next? Um, then what happened? Um, people started playing with, with uh, really interesting and different combinations, looking at inspiration from further afield. Um, so, for example, so Tanqueray number 10 came out in the mid-90s. Uh, chamomile was one of the key botanicals in it, because uh, chamomile and grapefruit. Um, you didn't, obviously, just brand new ingredients for gin at yeah. the time. Really, really quite interesting. Really light, aromatic, 
citrus forward, could say bone dry, but dry in a really kind of um, crisp rather than dry. It's a, it's a really, really, it was just a really, really good gin and still is. And then you had Hendrix and yeah. Martin Miller's come out. And they were the first gins that were distilled gins rather than London, London gins, London dry gins, because they had flavours added to them after distillation. Both of them used cucumber, Hendrix uses rose. Hendrix is a little bit lusher and a little bit more, a little bit fruitier, uh, whereas Martin Miller's is really clean, citrus forward and bright. Um, they're both incredible gins, both very different. But they, that was when people were starting to wake up uh, to the potential for different botanicals and how it could be, um, how it could be changed, how the recipe to gin could be changed. And then it came out in between those, after those three. So one of the things you just said there that I found absolutely fascinating, you said that those, those brands were different from London gin because they, did you say that the, the flavour was added after distillation? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so EU directors mean that your a London dry gin has to be predominantly juniper based, distilled with 96% alcohol, and it can't have anything added to it, neither sugar nor flavouring, once the distillation is done. So is that, that's the, that part of the EU definition of so champagne would have its own yeah. thing as about origin that's really interesting because that 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 again i mean that's great in terms of authenticity for that particular yeah, yeah. but that stops you playing around and innovating yeah. that's really interesting so when so when customers come in because you are unbelievably expressive and poetic when it comes to flavor but that's your that's your job and that's why you you're so good at it what i've learned in the last four or five months working with bartenders is that they're philosophers and poets, they're not people that couldn't get a proper job. Yeah. Like, this is a fucking proper job. Yeah. Which I, I, I see. So when people come in and you talk to them like this, do they understand what you're saying? Do they...? Oh, they'll, yeah, 100%. I think they... they the, the ones that are willing to engage... Um, they can see the value of the work that's been put in to create the understanding that I have. And they, they start seeing the same thing in the gins themselves. Gins have layers, that there is a, um, that there is a, there is a note at the beginning, middle and end, and you can really pick them up, even in a gin and tonic, even if you've had a bad gin and tonic, you should still, taste how the gin changes over time from each sip that you're taking um, and even the people that aren't willing to kind of engage you can see and you can tell by their reactions and the simple questions that they do answer that they get it they get this this realm of flavor exists and gin isn't just some one-dimensional Accident, I want a better word. And do they? What I'm really interested in is, do they then 
Is there a re- reluctance to go back to a, a standard gin? Have you changed? Once you've opened the doors of perception around flavour, have you changed the way they experience other things? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, definitely. We, we, in fact, we had a lady in last night who... Um, yeah, she she's a Tanqueray, classic Tanqueray export drinker, 43.1%. Again, it's just big, bold juniper, loads of citrus, a touch of spice. Yeah. It's what gin used to be. And, you know, it, it's, it is, for me, one of the eponymous um, uh, London drives. <clears throat> I gave her two left field choices, gins that are still London drives, and still have that same flavour journey, but have expanded on that flavour journey and added things that give more value to to the palate, as it were. And um, she's she she left here saying that she's not sure she could ever drink Tanqueray again, even though I would say she's in her mid forties and has probably drank Tanqueray every time she's drank gin for. How many years? That's incredible. I was listening to a fascinating podcast last night, which touched quite heavily on 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 drugs or the LSD culture of sixties yep. America, yep. where LSD was used to open the doors of perception. Even if it was only used once, it was yep. then people couldn't see things the same way. Yep. And it's interesting once you've explained flavour to me, and once you showed that that customer alternative worlds. Yeah, the old worlds were closed forever. Ever. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And do you do you find that it's easy to categorise customers? Do, do you, are you able to say um, I've just seen all your cups? My God, I've just. Um, are you able to say that kind of customer will will always go for this section of the gin menu, and that kind of customer will always go for it? Are you able to categorise customer? Um, We've, uh, firstly, I should point out that's what we serve one of our cocktails in. Oh, they're not your awards? No, no. <laughs> I was no, very no. impressed. Yeah, no, that would have been, they just, you know, we've got so many now that they, we, do, we don't even keep them on show. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, uh, no, but I think the general trend within um, the way people treat our menu and the way people use our, our kind of knowledge People are unsure of anything that's too alien to them. They won't. The savoury section of our gins gets ordered the least, even though I think they're the most interesting and um, definitely the ones that I'd be leaning towards. So, and people people will generally look to look to the citrus section and look for what is essentially a safe bet. Um, and it is, it is finding those people who are interested and willing to um, branch out a little bit. They're, they're the ones that I kind of really value because in terms of flavour, citrus is, in terms of flavour in gin, citrus is easy. It basically, a citrus forward gin with uh, tonic tastes like a really good lemonade that's alcoholic. So we're talking alcopop territory. Yeah. Whereas something that's a little bit more challenging, it's 
I don't know. I, 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 find, I find people who, who will take that challenge a little bit more interesting. So, yeah. This is fascinating, this area. Um, so, although the complexity and the, I think you used the word savoury end of, yeah. of the gin menu, is where the experimentation and probably the quality is. People gravitate, are they gravitating to what they know? Are they gravitating to, to citrus? Or are they gravi- gravitating to sweet? The, yeah, um, the um, we on a if I was to put it into a ratio, the people, the number of people that come in asking for fruity gins, which so you're talking something that's got um, a rounded flavour profile, that's going to be a little bit luscious, that's going to be that's going to have that kind of fruit element to it, rather than something that's dry. Um, and sharp and bitter, I'd say we probably get one person that's asking for the dry, sharp, bitter gins to every 15 people that'll ask for something that's fruity. And then they'll say fruity, they don't mean fruity, they mean give me something sweet. So yeah, so it is, it is, but I think that's also as well partially because gin is still fighting the stigma of it being this kind of dry, needly, sharp drink that tastes a bit like cologne, which I know exactly what it is. It's 37.5% Gordon's and terrible tonic. Dry, needly, sharp. Your language is incredible. (laughs) Incredible. So those customers that that gravitate towards 37.5% Gordon's. Yeah. When you show them, when you show them another world, are they comfortable going there again, or do they go back to safety? Do they do they revert to type? The vast majority of them will revert to type, but I think that's because they've done it for so long that it's not it's not really. I think for a lot of people, you need social proof. You need um, you need everyone shouting at you that you must do this until you go. All oh, right, actually, I should do this, and I will do it. And so, the first few people that kind of show you the way or lead you the way, they're always going to be the ones that you laugh at, and then it's always going to be the herd or the crowd. This is what I feel with sometimes with, with those kinds of gin drinkers. Thankfully, we don't get them that much. We don't. But they're not going to seek you out, are yeah. they? I love what you just said. You need someone to keep telling you to do it. Yeah. And I guess when you sit at a bar and order something safe and everybody else is ordering a Slingsby or a whatever, at some point you'll feel uncomfortable and, and, and want to shift that. So there's some... I'm not going to use the word peer pressure because that's too strong, but there's yeah. some there's some kind of like broader awareness that there's another world out there, and then there's a reinforcement, I guess. Yeah. That's really really interesting, um, and I I always felt that once 15, 16, 17 percent of a population had begun to go one way, yeah, that that becomes almost almost <coughs> normalised. And I'm guessing because you are what you are and you are where you are, you, you you find those customers really easily. 
and the people drinking crap tonic in, and warm gin in a dirty glass, they just don't come in here. No, they wouldn't. They're, they're, they're perfectly happy in yeah. the pub. Gin drinkers? Oh, yeah, they're, they're 100% gin drinkers, but they, you'd bring them here and they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand it. So where, so where next? Where, 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 where does gin go next? <laughs> this is the million dollar question and the million dollar answer as well, I think. Um, <coughs> um, personally, I see gin becoming botanical spirits and more culinary in its approach. So reducing, like completely, almost negating juniper as a, as a botanical, um, for all intents and purposes, becoming a flavoured vodka and the gin and tonic serve becoming something that is real, really just um, really different. That's what, I think that will be the nth degree of what the gin trend has become. Um, whether it goes that far, I'm not sure. Um, I think this year we've seen a massive growth in gin brands being released. We've seen a massive growth in tonic brands being released. Um, I think we've gone past... Uh, we've hit the peak of gin being in the media but I don't think we've hit the peak of people drinking gin. I think there'll be more and more um, gin produced and sold in the UK for sure over the next five years. Um, in terms of flavour, God, I don't know. Actually, you don't know. I wish I did. Um, I've got I've got a couple of ideas that I'd really like to work on. Uh, I'd really I'd be I'd love to be in a position where I could uh, create my own gin. And I mean, talk to a couple of people because I think. I, th I think it'd be interesting. I think you should do that. Yeah. And I don't think it's too expensive, and I don't think it's too complex. Yeah. I'd love to help you with that for certain. Oh, for certain. Um, I think that's where you've got to go next. Yeah. And I, and I love that observation. I mean, that you know, when is a gin not a gin? Yeah. When it's not full of juniper. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm pushing that distilled spirit. I mean, they're horrible words. Yeah. But but pushing it away from what gin is from, yeah. the, from the from the confines of what gin is i think offers so much opportunity oh yeah it's huge because it allows you to change the taste profile completely yeah because you're taking out that central pole that is i mean i love i love juniper don't get yeah. it wrong but you're taking it and, and having I mean, creating more space for, for other flavor yeah yeah amazing amazing and do you feel that customers Tastes are a seeking complexity, or is it sourness, or is it acidity, or is it sugar, or is it savoury? Or is it all of those? Is it all of those things? Where are customers' tastes now, and where do you think the hunger is? So forget I, what people are making. Yeah, what are people actually tasting? Um, I think the big part of where customers are in terms of what they're looking for is just something new, more than anything else, just something new. Um, they want 
to experience something that is different and just good for yeah um, if there is a, if I had to single out something um, 2017 was definitely the year of fruit gins or strawberry gins and other kind of more Spanish style gins trying to think what's been selling recently. Um, spice has become uh, something that's really important to people. People are definitely talking about spice. When they say spice, are they, are they meaning the peppery notes, the peppery end of the spice, or are they meaning like a cardamom? Or I mean, what about something with a bit of cumin in it? Yeah, it yeah. A, I mean, I, I, I'd be up for a gin with a little bit of cumin in it. Yeah. Um, and cardamom is beautiful because it's kind of like bitter but floral yeah, and, yeah. And, it, and it's lovely until you get too close to it and then it's not lovely anymore. No, it's too much, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. I, where, where does spice begin and, and end? So I, I, when, I, when I'm kind of categorising them, they have, um, you have, so pepper, anything that adds sharpness and, and, um, There is a word, it's not going to come to me now. There is no rush. Sharpness, so pepper adds kind of sharpness and bite. Then you, so that's the, that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then you have the aromatic spices like cardamom, uh, like, um, like cumin to a certain extent, though that's more kind of earthy. And, um, Caraway is I'm, yeah. I'm a big old fan of caraway. I, I use it in baking. All right, yeah. Um, because it's got it's got such a a nose on it. I I can taste how it smells. <laughs> it, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I I, I cut a slice of, of of caraway infused sourdough. Yeah. And the first thing that I can taste is its smell. Yeah. And and, I, and I'm kind of into. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm kind of interested in how. How smell? I mean, cocktail is as much about performance, indulgence. Um, it's about conducting the space that, that you stand in your own and and enjoying enjoying that space. And the noise and and the smell is really intriguing. How do you use aroma to enhance taste when you're here? Or do you? Do you not? Uh, we don't. I know. I know people do, and uh, and you know we've um, we we've, we've played around with it a little bit. Um, the most we'll do at the moment is zesting an orange or yeah. lemon or lime over over a drink, um, and it you know it, it does it carries um, it carries a lot of flavour, and, and you know, it depends as well once you've once you've zested it what you do with the zest. If you are to um, Wipe out the rim of the glass or something along those lines where the the aromas the oils can stick. Yeah. And you can once you've presented the glass, the as the glass warms up and the drink warms up, the the aromas will then kind of dissipate. Um, That's really interesting. But so then you've got other people who create essences to spray over a drink. And yeah. That's, 
I didn't. A, yeah, I didn't mean that. I mean yeah. that, that feels like theatre. Yes. And 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 I know that it works. I know if I'm sniffing vanilla, I'm likely to eat less sugar. I know that that yeah, link's yeah. like proven. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I meant I meant the natural flavours within the ingredients because you've got some lemongrass over there. I'm looking around. You've got some lemongrass, some lime. Both of those things make me salivate just yeah, yeah. Th- thinking about them. Um, but but I guess I mean looking at the glasses you're using, they're really big, open top glasses. Yeah. The smells coming out. Yeah. And and I guess that's all that's already happening. Um. So, one other thing I'm interested in, culturally, you're you're a Sikh. Yep. Are there many Sikh gin bar owners? No, no, we don't have a we don't have a sport federation or anything. <laughs> there, there are a lot of uh, seat bar owners though, but they generally tend to own the pubs near the density, the population dense where the population was, and then uh, the. Uh, but now they now that those pubs are becoming more and more popular because of the food that they serve. Um, so there's a place called the Vine in in West Bromwich. Which, if I could find the right person who wanted to make a lot of money, we would repackage and resell that to all over the country because it would make an absolute killing. Okay. It has. Um, they built a food hall, and they're in some in their adjoining land. They do Indian grill food and just really good Indian food, but. Not Bangladeshi, not kind of Southern Indian, more Punjabi, which is, um, it's it's still kind of, it's still obviously identifiable as Indian food, but it's not it's not a Bharti, it's different. And the grills, the mixed grills, like that, it's just it's just great when you when you get a pile of for meat eaters, obviously here yeah, you get a pile of sizzling meat. And then loads of fresh onions underneath, and it's just, um, and you can just see it as well. The, the 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 steam rising from it, you can see it from a mile away because they take it straight off the grill onto a hot plate and bring it across to you. Um, and this food hall must seat 60, 80 people, and they have overspill, and it's always full. Always full. That's incredible. So, and do, you, do you know what I love most about all of that? You never once yeah. mentioned how the food tasted. Yeah. Like, no, you 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 lit every other sense in. Yeah. in I got the idea of a crammed hall. Yeah. I got the idea of the sound of the sizzle. I got the steam and the visual stimulus. I got the smell. Not at one point did you say, "And the food tastes amazing." Yeah. You see, you, again, like you are. The way you use language to describe flavour is not normal. Okay, long, I'll take that. long may that continue <laughs> because 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 I'm excited without even thinking about what it tastes like. Yeah, and this is the perfect is the perfect job for you. And I, man, uh, thank you. I wish you all the best, and may this may your glass always be overfilling. Thanks. And may people be, be here permanently because it strikes me that what you do is you create a really safe place for people to play with taste 
and not just to get hammered. Like, 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 yeah. like get, going out for a drink, when I, I'm old, so back in the mid-80s when we used to go out for a drink, I was probably slightly illegal at that point, but the aim was to get pissed, Yeah. and the beer was just there to take me to the place of being pissed. It strikes me now that, that what the gin world, and certainly what, what you sell, is, is a way, is it, pissed may be at the end of this, but it, it, it's, it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And I think that shows a maturity in the way that people drink, actually. Yeah. And I think that's probably opened up the gap for people to play around more with flavour. Yeah. And how many gins have you got in this bar? I mean, 140. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's incredible. I'm absolutely drawn by the Monkey 47. Yeah. I'm hoping there's a Monkey 68 it's the year I was born and it's my Chinese birth site <laughs> but I suspect that is their brand name yeah mate thank you pleasure Ast- astonishing absolutely astonishing and you're going to do really well thanks you just know you are thanks amazing so what did you think about that I, I found it massively inspiring to talk to somebody who was so alive with with words, with 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 poetry, who who could make me want a drink just by talking about it, who could make me want a drink that was remarkably different just by talking about it, and whose passion and enthusiasm came came spilling over his glass, um, and it's just it's just amazing. And his place is incredible. It's really small. I think it seats like I don't know forty people. And on a Friday and a Saturday, you've got a book to go in. Got a book to go into a bar, and he's full every night. And on a bank holiday, the Sunday before a bank holiday, or maybe on the bank holiday Monday, they have a they have a great big game of cards um, against humanity. There's just such a really lovely vibe and and community. And he's created a tribe that that want to go with him, and he's he's taken them to places that that normal bars couldn't couldn't take him. So. Um, Go visit, go go check it out. Um, look at his menus. He's got these incredible gin menus that, that give you flavour profiles of all of the 140-odd gins that he sells. Um, and it's, yeah, just a really beautiful experience. Okay, stay tuned. There's another one coming hot on the heels of this one. We've got three or four lined up. And if you think of anybody that's doing stuff exceptionally well, um, outstanding, then, then let me know and I'll, um, I'll go and talk to them.